On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Jeremiah, son of Ehud, saying, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the mercy trees in the glen, and behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses. And I said, What are these, my Lord? The angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the mercy trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the mercy trees and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, against which you have been angry these seventy years? And the Lord answered gracious and confident words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with him said to me, Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts. I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, and I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry by the wisdom, they averted the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of us. My cities shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these? And he said to me, These are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, What are these coming to do? He said, These are the horns that scattered Judah, so that no one raised his head. And these have come to terrify them, to cast down the horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter it. This is the word. Powerful word. 
pray that in hearing your word, uh, we might rejoice uh, and be comforted this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, uh, have you ever cried out to God, How long, O oh Lord? Have you ever cried out to God, How long, O oh Lord? Uh, one of the saddest things uh, I can remember from my time at Bible College is the unrelenting suffering uh, of one of my friends. Uh, my friend and his wife had been trying for children uh, for some time, and so when they conceived, uh, they were over the moon, and uh, everything seemed to be going well until they suffered a late-term miscarriage. Uh, naturally, they were uh, devastated by this, but they tried again, they conceived again, they gave thanks to God again. But this time, after carrying the baby uh, for the full term of nine months, the baby sadly died at birth. Uh, he was stillborn. Again, it was a time of unspeakable sadness. But as if that wasn't enough, my friend and his wife cried again, they conceived again, they gave thanks to God again. And this time they gave birth to a, a beautiful and healthy young girl. Uh, she was the apple of their eye. She brought them so much joy. But just as my friend and his wife were healing from the trauma of the past, um, they woke up one morning to find that their little two-year-old daughter had passed away in her sleep. And friends, uh, as I sat in this little girl's funeral service, uh, looking at the little coffin at the front of the church, everyone in that room could not help but cry out, How long, O Lord? I mean, these were godly Christian people who had given up their lives to serve Jesus. And yet, it was one tragedy after another. How long, O Lord? I mean, if you really are God, then how long will you allow your people to suffer in this way? Your situation and my situation may not be as intense or as heartbreaking as uh, my friend, but have there been times in your life where you have cried out to God, how long Perhaps it's some personal tragedy of your own which has brought prolonged suffering in your life and it just seems unrelentless. Uh, perhaps it's your struggle with sin uh, or some sort of opposition to your faith. Perhaps it's just looking around at this world and sensing that there is so much brokenness and pain and you just cry out to God, How long, O Lord? This isn't the way things are meant to be, especially for your people. How long before you will make things right, O Lord? Have you ever thought that way or cried out to God in that way. Uh, well, friends, uh, last week uh, we began a new series in the Old Testament book of Zechariah. 
Now, you might remember that God's word to Zechariah's generation, uh, who had returned to Jerusalem from uh, their period of exile in Babylon, uh, was to repent or to return to God. That was God's word to them. And God's promise was that if they return to Him, then He will most certainly return to them. And what did the people of Zacharias day do? Well, we saw last week that they did indeed repent, didn't they? They did admit their sin and they returned. They did that use turn and came back to God. But today, uh, we're, we're beginning the next major section of Zechariah, which uh, is a series of eight visions that Zechariah sees from God. We're going to be looking at the first uh, two of these eight visions today. Uh, but if you have a look uh, there at chapter 1, verse 16, um, come with me to chapter 1, verse 16 of Zechariah. You can see that now that uh, the people have repented, uh, God in, indeed does keep his promise. He does return to Jerusalem. For it says there, Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched over Jerusalem. And so, friends, uh, these visions that uh, Zachariah sees is really about what God is now going to do now that he has returned to his people and to his city, you see. But here's the thing. Even though God had returned to Jerusalem, life for the people of uh, the city continued to be hard and full of trials. It was obvious that not everything was, was right with the world just because God had returned. In fact, it even seemed at times that God had forgotten his promises to them. Uh, if you have your Bibles there, friends, uh, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 25. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 25, if you uh, keep on flipping back uh, from Zechariah, uh, you should eventually um, come to, to, to Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah was a prophet who spoke God's words to the people of Jerusalem um, before the exile to Babylon. And uh, in this passage, God promises their exile in Babylon is going to last for 70 years. Uh, what, ha- what will happen after 70 years in exile? Well, after 70 years, the exile will be over, uh, the people of Jerusalem will be restored again, but the nations that have previously attacked Jerusalem, nations like Babylon, uh, will uh, suffer God's judgment and be punished by him. And so, uh, if you go to chapter 25, verse 12 of Jeremiah, chapter 25, verse 12, uh, it says there, Then after 70 years are completed, I, that is God, will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. In other words, what God had promised to the people of Jerusalem is that after 70 years in exile, um, their exile will be over. They will be restored again, 
but nations such as Babylon and indeed other nations that had rejoiced in Israel's demise will be punished. And yet the thing is, when you get to Zechariah, the people have returned to their city. The 70 years are almost over. But it seems that God has forgotten about his promises. Because not all seems right with this world. Where do you see this? Well, uh, you can see this, for example, in the way Zechariah gives date references uh, in the book of Zechariah. Um, I wonder whether you noticed uh, last week, as well as this week, that uh, whenever Zechariah um, has a word from God, um, he dates it according to the reign of a Persian king, uh, the, king the Persian king Darius. Uh, usually in the Old Testament, when uh, the Old Testament writers date things, they date it according to the kings of Israel, don't they? But here, Zechariah dates things according to a foreign king, uh, which is to indicate that God's people are still living under foreign rule. Things are not right with this world just yet. But perhaps more strikingly, you see that not is all right in the world um, in the first vision that Zechariah sees here in this passage. And what does he see in this first vision? Uh, well, if we you have a look at verse 8, he sees a lot of horses, doesn't he? Uh, that's what he sees. Uh, he sees a man riding on a red horse who also um, stands among the myrtle trees, uh, perhaps that's happening one after the other. Um, it's hard to um, um, understand, you know, that person is sitting on a horse and standing at the same time. Uh, but just behind this man, uh, there are red and sorrel and white horses. Uh, do you know what the color sorrel is? Yeah, it's that. Chestnut brown, thank you. That's very descriptive. I would have just said brown, but it's chestnut brown. <laughs> um, yeah, so red and chestnut brown and white horses. Uh, it's a little bit hard to pick up uh, in our English Bibles, but it's not as though there is you know, one red horse and one brown horse and one white horse here, uh, but rather there's a group of uh, red horses and a group of Chestnut horses and a group of white horses. Now, why are these horses significant? Well, I think their significance lies not so much in their colors, but in what they do. And what do they do? Well, you can see there in verse 11 that the riders of the horses answer one of God's angels and they say these words. They say in verse 11, we have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. In other words, uh, these horses are a bit like, you know, those um, uh, mounted police who go around patrolling the area. Uh, they've gone out and patrolled the whole earth, and what they've observed is that everything uh, and all the nations of this earth are at rest. Now, friends, that sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, what's wrong with the earth being at rest? It kind of 
if you remember God's promises in Jeremiah, it really ought to be the city of Jerusalem that is at rest, and the nations of the world who are restless because they are under the judgment of God, you see. But here it seems to be upside down, And that's why if you have a look at verse 12 of our passage, the angel of the Lord cries out in anguish on behalf of the people. Now have a look at verse 12. He says, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these 70 years? You see, when the people of Jerusalem look around at the world around them, it seems as though God is being favorable to the nations who do not know God, and God is still angry with his people because his people are still suffering in their very own land. You know, the Jews who Zechariah prophesied to in his day were actually the Jews who had left many of them a very comfortable life back in Babylon to come to Jerusalem to serve God. And all they see in their lives is hardship while all the other nations of this world seem to be prospering. Have you ever felt like this before, friends? Have you ever felt that things seem a bit upside down and not right in this world? Have you ever felt that people who do not know God seem to be doing so well and getting ahead in life and living such an easy life, enjoying prosperity? But here you are, making sacrifices, serving God and His people, giving your money to the gospel, suffering in this fallen world, and in many ways, it seems as though being one of God's people is actually harder and harder than the lives of others. Have you ever felt that way before? Perhaps it might even seem at times as though God is still angry at you, even though He's put you all trust in the Lord Jesus. You see, friends, the tension that the people of Zacharias they felt is exactly the same tension that we often feel as Christian people. It's what theologians often call the tension between the now but the not yet. Have you heard that phrase before, the now and the not yet? You see, for the people of Zacharias' day, they knew that God had returned to them in the here and now. And yet, the full blessing of what that means had not yet come to them. And it's the same with us, you know. We know that Jesus has come to us now, and he lives with us now by his Spirit. And yet, we feel this tension because the full blessing of God is not yet here. And we still live through the trials of this life. 
idea of the cells that we should be told. Now, friends, uh, if you read on, uh, you can see in verse 13 that God answers the cry of how long with what is described there wonderfully as gracious and comforting words. Gracious and comforting words which uh, God speaks to the angel who then in turn speaks to Zechariah. Uh, did you see here there in verse 13, gracious and comforting words? Uh, what are these gracious and comforting words? Well, it's the message that God is still committed to his people and still angry with the nations who have opposed him. Uh, you can see there in verse 14, right? In verse 14 it says, So the angel who talked with me said to me, Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, and I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. Uh, you know, jealousy is uh, often seems, seems to be a negative uh, emotion, isn't it? Have you ever been jealous before? Uh, I know I have. And uh, it's often accompanied by, you know, envy and resentment towards another person and uh, great pettiness, isn't it? Uh, that's how human beings usually um, experience jealousy. But jealousy can also be a positive thing. I mean, if you have a spouse and uh, your spouse runs off with another man or another woman, and you don't get jealous, then there is something seriously wrong with your relationship, isn't it? For jealousy can actually be a sign of deep commitment and love and yearning for somebody who is rightly yours. And so here, what God is saying is that he's no longer angry with his people, but he's still deeply and passionately committed to them. Further, you can see there that while God is not angry with his people anymore, he's deeply angry with the nations who are at ease. Now, we won't have time to look up all these passages, but when the Old Testament speaks about people being at ease, it usually speaks about people who are complacent uh, against God, or complacent towards God, and arrogant towards God, and secure in themselves, even though they have rejected God from their lives. But why is God very angry with these nations? Well, we're told there in verse 15 that it's because these nations have furthered the disaster. Uh, you know, we are told in the Old Testament that God uh, used the, the nations of the world to punish his very own people for their sins. Uh, if you know the Old Testament history, you will know, for example, that um, God used uh, the savage nation of Assyria to punish uh, the northern kingdom of Israel. 
And you also know that God uses the nation of Babylon to punish the southern kingdom of Israel. And yet here, God says he's very angry with these same nations. Why? Well, it's because they have furthered the disaster of this people. It, it, it's almost like they have overstepped the mark in the way that they have treated God's people. Uh, it's a bit like how um, you know, Western countries uh, have sent elite soldiers to Afghanistan uh, in the past. Uh, you know, there's a certain legitimacy to that, isn't there? Um, to send soldiers to Afghanistan to um, you know, undertake peacekeeping or whatever it is. But you might know that there have been reports that at least some of these elite soldiers have committed horrible war crimes while they were there. You know, shooting at innocent civilians, uh, urinating on prisoners of war, showing extreme brutality in a way that goes beyond what is necessary. You see, if you overstep the mark, you become morally culpable. Now, that's what's going on here. The nations who crushed God's people in the past have overstepped the mark, and God is exceedingly angry, he says, for what they have done to keep and to his people. And he will punish them for what they have done. But on the other hand, I notice that God promises something very different for his people. For in verse 16, you see there that God promises that his house will be built once again in Jerusalem. In the same verse, God will bring out the misery line or the tape measure and begin reconstructing his city. And in verse 17, God's cities will once again overflow prosperity and blessing. In other words, there will be a complete restoration of his people. We all love things that are restored uh, to the way they should be. Our parents of teenagers love it when their teenage children tidy up their rooms and it's restored to the way it should be. Has anyone had that experience before? Oh, one person. Yeah, that's about right. Uh, some of you love the idea of renovating houses and restoring it to the way it should be. Uh, I love watching shows on Netflix where, have you seen these shows where they take old, rusting, you know, falling apart cars and they restore it to their former glory? I think there's something deep inside of us that loves the idea of being restored to the way things should be. And that's what God says to the people of Zechariah's day here. God says, life may be tough. Uh, you might be going through trial after trial after trial in your life at the moment. It may even seem that at times I'm favorable to the nations who live in this and still angry with you who face trials and difficulties as a result of being my people. But I want you to know, says God, I have returned to you. I am no longer angry at you. And I will bring about a great restoration by judging. 
in the nations and bringing prosperity and blessing and comfort to you. And brothers and sisters, if you are someone who follows the Lord Jesus, then I want to say that these gracious and comforting words of God to the people of Zacharias there is exactly the same message or exactly the same word that God has for you as well in and through our Lord Jesus. For if you belong to God, he says, I am no longer angry at you. For the death of the Lord Jesus Christ has taken my anger away. I have returned him, and I live in you by my spirit. And you might be facing trials of every kind now. For some of you, it might be unrelenting. Mark my words, I will restore all things on the last day when Jesus comes to judge the world. On that day, those who do not know God will face his anger, while those who know Jesus as Lord and Savior will be restored to everlasting prosperity. If the first vision of Zechariah is all about the restoration that God will bring for his people, then the second vision is really all about God's blueprint for how he will bring this about. If you see there in verse 18 that the things Zechariah sees in the second vision are four forms. In the Old Testament, forms are a symbol of strength. You know, bulls have horns. Rhinos have one horn. Um, you know, they are animals you don't want to mess with because they are strong and destructive. Uh, further, notice that there are four horns because uh, does anyone know what the number four represents in the Bible? What the number four represents? Four corners of the world, yeah, uh, or the four points of a compass. Uh, it's that sort of thing, isn't it? And so, what Zechariah is seeing here in this vision are all the strong and mighty nations, you know, the, the ones metaphorically that have horns, who have opposed and crushed God's people in the past. Nations of the world who have opposed and crushed God's people in the past. And that's why in verse 19, when Zechariah asked the angel uh, what these horns are, uh, the angel there says, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. In other words, these are the nations that God is exceedingly angry with in the first vision because they have opposed God's very own people. However, there is something very strange in this passage. For I want you to see that in verse 20, Zechariah goes on to see not four horns, but four craftsmen. And what do these craftsmen do? Well, if you have a look at the end of verse 21, these craftsmen, well, they come to terrify and destroy the horns to other nations, the powerful nations who have opposed God and his people. I mean, it's a bit of a comical image, don't you think? 
It's almost like you have these you know, superpower nations lining up with their armies and tanks and weapons of mass destruction, showing their military might and strength. And along comes Bob the Builder with you know, his trading friends, plumbers and electricians and carpenters. And these superpowers are, are there shaking in their boots, terrified of them. But here's the thing, friends. When you see the word craftsman, what do you think of in the Old Testament? If you've read through the Old Testament before, uh, you might know that craftsmen turn up whenever God asks His people to build something. And so, for example, in Exodus chapter 31, you have craftsmen uh, who are there, who are the skilled workers who, who help Moses to build the tabernacle. Or in 1 Chronicles 22, you have craftsmen who are there at the time of King Solomon, when King Solomon is charged to build the temple of the Lord. In other words, what this second vision of Zechariah tells us is that it is those who are the builders in God's kingdom who will one day terrify and crush the nations who are opposed to God and his people. It's a breathtaking promise, isn't it? And so the people of Zechariah's day were encouraged to not lose sight of this promise, but to continue to wait in faith as they obeyed God in beginning and continuing to construct the temple of God in that city as they, uh, as they waited for that great day. But of course, uh, this promise finds its great fulfillment uh, in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not sure whether there is um, any significance in the fact that Jesus was a carpenter, you know, a craftsman of sorts. But what we do know for certain is that Jesus was the master builder, wasn't he? He came into the world on a mission to build not a physical church, but through his death and resurrection to build his people, to build his church. He says, I will build my church in Matthew's gospel, and not even the gates of hell shall prevail against it. Further, the New Testament reminds us that one day, Jesus will come again in judgment. And every single person who has ever lived will stand before the great builder to give an account of their life. On that day, those from every nation of this world who do not know God and who have opposed Him in their lives will be terrified and will be cast down. And yet those who belong to Jesus will not only be given life and prosperity and blessing, but interestingly, even a role in judging the nations of the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, the Apostle Paul says the extraordinary words that one day Christians will judge the world. Not in the sense of being the ultimate judge, 
But um, what would it be like, you know, in a court of law, you have the judge and you have the foreman or other people who kind of help uh, in, in the judgment. And uh, as we participate in Jesus in the building of his kingdom, we will one day participate in the judgment of those who have not turned to God in repentance and faith. And so, friends, uh, there is really only one question that matters in the light of what we've heard today. Uh, it's the question of whether you are a builder and I am a builder, or whether we are part of the nations who have opposed God and His people and have and continue to be immortal in our lives. If you are a Christian person who follows Jesus in your life, then you cannot help but be a builder in God's kingdom. question for you is, how are you participating in that building, in the building of the church? Is that your concern as you share the gospel with others, as you give to the work of building, as you encourage your brothers and sisters so that they are strengthened in their faith? But if you are not yet a Christian and you know deep inside that in your life, you have ignored God and you have opposed Him and rejected Him in your life, then know for certain that a terrifying day is coming when you will stand before the great builder who will be your judge. But the good news of the Bible is that you can turn to Jesus before that day comes. And not only find forgiveness and the kind of life that is truly life, but also to be uh, to have the great privilege of being a builder together with the Lord Jesus Christ as we seek to build up this kingdom. And so, if you don't know Jesus yet, uh, can I plead with you to turn to him today? Before that terrifying day comes and find forgiveness and life and purpose as a builder in his kingdom. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks gracious and comforting words to your people. We thank you that you spoke these words to the people of Zechariah's day. Thank you that in our Lord Jesus, you speak such gracious and comforting words to us uh, as we live this life and as we go through trials. Now, Father, there are indeed many times when our hearts cry out to you, How long, O Lord, as we go through difficulties in this life? And so often we feel with acuteness that things are not right in this world. And uh, we go through periods of seemingly unrelentless suffering. But uh, Father, we thank you that in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus, uh, we can know with great certainty that you are no longer angry with us for our sins, and that our Lord Jesus will one day return to make things right in this world and to wipe away every tear from us. 
Father, we pray especially today for those who are going through uh, particular trials in life, and we think of especially those who are sick or ill or facing opposition to their faith or going through uh, difficult tragedy of one sort or another. And we pray that as they cry out to you, how long, O Lord, that you will show them your grace and your mercy and your wonderful peace and comfort and joy. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.